Red Apple Media Podcast Network presents This is Protecting America. Now, here's Emmy winning journalist Rita Cosby. And welcome to another edition of Protecting America. Crime is surging big time in many major cities across America, and this comes as police are under attack often with deadly consequences, with ambush attacks on police officers up triple digits from the same time last year. So does President Biden and the Democratic Party know how to fight crime? Well, joining us now to discuss this is investigative journalist and founder of Just the News, John Solomon. John, great to have you here. Great to be with you, Rita. You know, it's been stunning because it wasn't that long ago, of course, President Biden was in New York. He was meeting with Mayor Eric Adams and his message was guns, guns, guns. But I didn't hear anything about let's throw the book at criminals. Let's stop this revolving door. Uh, Are they missing the mark? Yeah, listen, they, they, they have to focus on a very narrow thing that allows the base of the party to stay with Joe Biden, because once they start talking about the other issues like illegal uh, immigration and the illegal aliens to get sent inward to the country and then commit any crimes, they lose their base. Right. So it's easy for everyone in the Democratic Party to blame things on guns. Now, most crimes, as we know, aren't committed by lawful gunners. They're committed by people who have illegal guns. They got them on the streets or the gun runners and other things. But the the uh, the, the Democrats stay on this. We got to uh, get rid of the Second Amendment. We got to tighten up guns rather than blame the policies that really are at the heart of this. This crime wave that began, began in the summer of the defunding of police, driven by Joe Biden's own party. And remember, there was a time where Joe Biden was apologizing for his support for the 1994 crime bill because he, he couldn't win the primary without doing so. It started then. And then we began all these bail reform, which is really let, uh, a, a euphemism for let's just let violent criminals out and not keep them in jail. And you have consequences like the Waukesha massacre or repeat criminals uh, committing crimes in the street of New York. They Joe Biden can't talk about those things because he loses the base of his party. So he gave a very narrow, uh, simple, safe uh, uh, thing, which is we're going to crack down on crime and get these guns off the street. The fact of the matter is when you crack down on lawful unders, owners, it has no impact on the, all the unlawful owners who create so much of the crime every day. Now, you talked about, um, of course, uh, the crime that's happening, and I want to get to the border. There's so many questions I have for you, John Solomon. But I want to ask you even your thoughts about these soft-on-crime DAs, because, as you said, they sort mm-hmm. of came out with this defunding message, this sort of light-on-criminal message. Um, that has been fairly, you know, through the Democratic Party at different threads, not all of them, but but in different yeah. threads of them, especially members of the squad. What role do you think they play with crime um, and from your coverage and specifically, I mean, you look at Manhattan, Alvin Bragg, you look at Philly, you look at Los Angeles, um, you look at San Francisco. I mean, all these cities are struggling with crime. And yet at the same time, they have DAs who are basically trying to minimize punishment for crimes. 
Yeah, listen, uh, you look around and this movement, this movement to reform district attorney's office, that's the word that Democrats and liberals use it, began with George Soros and a political action committee he created to start to intervene in local district attorney's races, which in the past were not uh, something that big major national donors played in. And to his credit, he worked very hard and he got this group of prosecutors out there now that believe in bail reform, believe in uh, releasing people, keeping most people out of prison. And so from New York to California, California to St. Louis, Kimberly Gardner, a, a prosecutor I've battled with a lot because she brought a false prosecution against a governor and we're still trying to get the records to expose that. Um, you see an entire uh, map. And if you want to go and look at all the hotspots, you're going to see the biggest crime surges are in cities where these prosecutors now like St. Louis, Chicago, New York. Uh, and, and so there is a, a clear ideological uh, movement that caused this moment, created this moment. And it, you know, it argued for defund the police. Don't keep people in prison uh, or in jail, even if they've committed crimes or multi-crimes. Uh, and, and, and so you look at the map, the map matches the political movement. And in San Diego, there was a big uh, blowback after having a liberal prosecutor, a prosecutor who ran to be a law and order prosecutor, won unexpectedly and took back that city because people are frustrated. They're not going to take it in Pennsylvania. The Senate and House and the legislature, state legislature, are working on impeaching the district attorney in Philadelphia. So this movement has finally reached its point where it's backfiring. It's boomeranging. Do you feel that the tide is turning or do you think that Democrats are genuinely trying to kind of reshape themselves as you're talking about it in San Francisco? You know, we saw it in a number of cities where yeah. suddenly these folks who were talking defund are kind of go, oh, no, I, I didn't really say that. On the other hand, are they just replying to the polls? Because if you look at the latest polls, John Solomon 81% say that they are very concerned about crime, and that's Republicans, Democrats, independents. Um, so are they just replying to voters, trying to satiate voters because it's an election year? You know, I think there's one telling anecdote that uh, tells us that they really knew what they were doing, and only now because there's a political consequence or penalty for it, they're changing the tune. Let's take the district attorney of Milwaukee County, John Chisholm. He is the prosecutor who let out the driver that later committed the Waukesha massacre. He let this guy, his office let this guy out on $500 or $1,000 bail within a few hours of him trying to run over his girlfriend with a car. He was trying to commit vehicular manslaughter. The guy had a massive rap sheet and then he gets out and he commits this heinous crime mowing down people at a holiday parade in the neighboring city of Waukesha. John Chisholm, when he ran, when he set in motion this bail reform said, listen, there's going to be a time, uh, is, is there going to be a time I'm going to let somebody out and they're going to kill someone? Yep, I still think it's worth it. So they knew what they were doing. They knew the consequence. And a while ago, when there wasn't the political backlash, they were saying, you know, letting a guy out if he kills someone, it might be worth it. Now they're trying to retreat from that position. But their ideology hasn't changed. And I think that most Americans have had just enough of it that they're going to try something different. All right, we tried the Democratic approach. Let's try something different. Is it going to sweep the whole country at once? Probably not. I think we're going to get some unusual things, maybe Philadelphia, maybe New York. But um, over time, I think this issue becomes a major liability for Democrats and a potentially winning issue for Republicans. Yeah, no question, especially as people can see with their own clear eyes what's happening on many of the major streets. And, you know, whether it's in New York or Chicago or Philly or L.A., in so many of these big cities. You know, it's also been just so painful to watch, John. And just I recently I was at one of the funerals 
for one of the NYPD officers who was slain. And I went to the funeral for Wilbert Mora. And it, yeah, it, it was uh, it was so powerful, John, to be there and to watch the family members and to watch the mother as she got you know the flag that draped over her son's coffin. Yeah. It was gut wrenching, and then mm. the daughter, the sister of Wilbert Mora, got up and she made a plea saying the system has to change. How many officers, you know, like Wilbert Mora and his partner yeah. Jason Rivera, who were ambushed in New York, how many of them have to die? And it was a very similar message. And similar painful shout for help that we heard from the widow of Jason Rivera the week Absolutely. before. Um, how much of an impact do you think we've kind of hit the breaking point? And do you think, I mean, I, I don't know anything almost more powerful than seeing, you know, a grieving family member shouting, please protect police. Yeah, listen, there are these moments in our country's history where one episode, one extraordinary gut-wrenching moment seems to do it. If you remember back in 1988 when George H.W. Uh, uh, Bush was running against Mike Dukakis, there was the famous Willie Horton ad, a guy that was let out on furlough in an earlier version of the liberal experiment that we now call bail reform, and he murdered someone and heinous crime, and it actually changed that election. It, it actually killed Michael Dukakis's campaign, and George H.W. Bush, who had been struggling up to that point, suddenly went on to succeed Ronald Reagan. There are moments where crimes shock the conscience. What I fear is that there's been so many shocking crimes lately. There's been eight or 10 or 12 or 15 ambushes I can count in the last two years, from the, the thing that happened to the poor deputies in L.A. that were just ambushed in their car, to the these latest ambushes in New York, it doesn't seem that people have as they become desensitized. It's almost become like a video game for some of us. Uh, and, and we're desensitized from just how painful these horrendous crimes are. And that's what I worry about. People don't aren't absorbing not only the emotion and the consequence, but uh, the, the reality that every time someone's killed, that is a real person. That is a real family impacted. I thought the NYPD and those brave families who survived those brave officers did a great public service by putting everything out there and letting us know the consequence. It'll be interesting to see. Joe Biden's rhetoric was clearly affected by it. If you look at the speech he gave in New York, it clearly is he repudiated his own party. The answer is not to defund the police, he said. Now, he hadn't said that for a long time, but he finally said it. It's to give you the tools, the training, the funding to be partners, to be protectors. The community needs you, he told the police. That's a very different Joe Biden than the one that was running in 2020. More like the Joe Biden of the 1990s who built the crime bill. Right. But we hear that. And then it makes you go politics because, of course, his vice president yeah. was one of the folks who paid into the Minnesota Freedom Fund. She was actively right. supporting them. And in fact, Joe Biden had campaign staffers at the time who were also contributing to that Minnesota Freedom Fund that was bailing out the rioters. So, you know, it's like which Joe Biden is the real Joe Biden, John? Well, there's Zaman. another one. You know, when he picks a fight on guns, we have to remember the most heinous gun crime ever to be uh, ever to be facilitated by the United States government occurred on Joe Biden and Barack Obama's uh, watch the gun running uh, scandal uh, in the 2010-2011 where the ATF under Barack Obama and Joe Biden allowed uh, semi-automatic we weapons to go across the border and into Mexico. Some of those guns were then used to attack Americans, including a Border Patrol agent. Uh, that was on the Obama-Biden's watch. They were letting guns run across the border then. They never own up to that when they talk about we got to rein in guns. One of the greatest and most grievous mistakes about guns in American history occurred on Joe Biden's watch when he was under Barack Obama.
Yeah, that is interesting. And of course, Eric Holder and yeah, everybody was on the hot seat on that one. Absolutely. Right. I want to ask yeah. you before I let you go, John Solomon, about two things. First off, on the border, on the role that illegal immigrants have played on crime, too, and that we've seen and yeah. sadly tying it to police of the case recently. It was in Houston, um, right, yes. right near Houston, where it turned out to be an illegal immigrant. There was a warrant for him uh, for a violent crime in his own country, another warrant for him for a violent crime in America, and yet he was still rolling around and killed this deputy in Houston. It was heartbreaking. It was. We have that. We have several families in Texas that have been killed in crashes, drunken driving by an illegal alien who shouldn't have been in the country. We have the horrible case of a guy who pretended he was a 16-year-old and got waved in because the Biden administration wasn't vetting him closely enough. He turned out to be a 24-year-old man. He got placed with a family in Florida, and he murdered the father of the family that took him in out of the goodness of their heart. Uh, these crimes are beginning to pile up. I'm actually working on a story right now, seven, eight, nine dozen cases in the last couple months where illegal aliens who've trafficked into the interior of the country now have committed heinous crimes. This is another issue that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are not going to be able to run from. The toll of bodies that are uh, lining up under this open border are beginning bigger and bigger every day. Um, and you also have a big story that you broke recently um, about a little bit about the double standards that are going on in justice. Um, tell us a little bit about that, John Solomon. Yeah, such an important thing. I, since the, I, I unraveled the Russia case, this theme keeps popping up. That there's two systems of justice, one for everyday Americans and maybe conservatives, another for the elite and for liberals. And uh, we took a look at the case of Hunter Biden's business partner, Devin Archer, who was convicted, uh, indicted in 2016, convicted of 2018 of securities fraud for fleecing an Indian tribe. He's still not been sentenced three years later. But while he's been waiting to be sentenced, the judge in his case, a Democratic appointee, of uh, Barack Obama has allowed Devin Archer to take 41 foreign trips. He is globetrotted. He's gone to Jamaica, Turks and Caicos, Italy wow. for vacation, China, other places for business. Now compare that to the January 6th defendants, Paul Manafort, Rick Gates, and the Russia case, all who had their passports. And in some cases, even their wives who weren't accused of crimes had to give up their passports. What a double standard when you see that. Yeah, what a double standard. Justice needs to be fair for all, and it needs to be tough on criminals, as we have been talking about, because they need to know a lesson that they can't get out there and do it again, um, especially those for very, very serious crimes. John Solomon, you always do great work. Thank you so much, and thanks for joining us on this really important and very timely podcast. Thank you. Uh, my pleasure. Great to be with you, Rita. And everybody, I'll be back soon with another great edition of Protecting America. And of course, you can catch me every weeknight, 10 p.m. to midnight on the legendary WABC Radio. This is Rita Cosby, and thanks for all you do to protect America. America.